Our first Old Testament text uh, comes from Numbers chapter 14, which is found on page 110 of your pew Bible. And we're going to read the first 11 verses of the chapter, and then I'm going to jump down to verse 20 and read 20 to 23. Again, that's on page 110 of your pew Bible. Listen now to the word of God. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to, us, said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become, the, uh, will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, uh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which, is, which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said uh, to stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people spurn me? And how long will they not believe in me despite all the signs which I performed in their midst? And then skipping down to 20. So the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word. That's the word of Moses. But indeed, and this is the judgment, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Surely all men who have seen my glory and my signs which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not listened to my voice, they shall by no means see the land which I swore to them, or swore to their fathers, nor shall any of them who spurned me see it. Amen. This morning, our psalms, psalm reading is from Psalm 95, which is found on page 434. And likely, as we read through this, you'll recognize similar uh, wording because, in fact, Psalm 95 uh, harkens back to Numbers 14, among other passages. Listen here to God's word. O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it is he who made it, and his hands form the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. 
for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, when they tried me, though they had seen my work for 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, to the, and said they are a people who err in their heart and they do not know my ways. Therefore, I swore in my anger, truly they shall not enter into my rest. Amen. And then please turn to Hebrews 3, verses 7 through 19. It's on page 170 for our primary area of thinking this morning. Again, that's Hebrews 3, 7 through 19. Again, pay attention to familiar words we've just kind of heard or alluded to. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice... Do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of the trial in in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brethren that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end." While it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not uh, with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Amen. Please take a moment and meditate silently on these words as we prepare our hearts for its explanation. Heavenly Father, as we come into your presence this morning in this service of worship, Lord, may we first recognize that your spirit is the one who first gives us encouragement day by day. And Lord, as we uh, reflect upon um, the words uh, of these passages, we pray that your spirit would um, again and anew encourage us to encourage one another and that we would be um, marked as your people by our love for one another. And Lord, as we uh, draw near to you, may we draw near to one another and follow wherever you might lead. We ask this in the name of your precious Son, the Lord Jesus. So the primary question of the sermon is, so exactly how often do we have to encourage one another? Right, and the text is pretty clear. The text says that we're supposed to encourage each other every day. 
as long as it's called today. What about tomorrow? Well, tomorrow when it comes will be today. I wasn't born yesterday. But what does that mean? What does it mean to encourage one another? Is it to, to give a pep talk? Like, oh, you're doing a great job. That's so great. I'm glad you, glad you did X, Y, or Z. I mean, if that's what encouragement is, it seems somewhat exhausting. It, it makes me feel as though I were a coach of you know, giving a halftime speech, but it's like a perpetually losing team. And you kind of constantly have to say, go back out there, get at it, you can do it. Is that the sort of encouragement? I'm not so sure. This morning, it's my prayer that we can look at the close connection between encouragement, or, or perhaps an absence of encouragement, grumbling, and the entrance of sin into, into the lives of, of Israel. And it's my further prayer that as we think about this pattern of, of a failure to encourage, the presence of grumbling, the growth into sin, that we might more positively encourage one another that we might encourage one another to fear the Lord and fear Him alone, and that as we fear the Lord, we could hold fast to our confession firm until the end. And just to be clear, my prayer is that we hold fast to Christ. Now, as we come to, to the verses in, in Hebrews chapter 3, um, it's, helpful to historic, er, to, it's helpful to understand the kind of the historical context. I mean, we saw this, that Hebrews 3 quotes Psalm 95, but we see that Psalm 95 in part quotes Numbers 14. So just to kind of refresh our memory, we remember that the Israelites were in captivity in Egypt for a number of years, right? And that the Lord um, brought them out of captivity. You know, he, he, there were plagues in Egypt. Finally, Pharaoh said, all right, I've had enough. You may go. And so Israel, you know, went, and then Pharaoh followed, right? And you remember they got to the edge of the Red Sea, and there was that moment of, what do we do now? But God, in his providential care, parted the Red Sea, right? The Israelites walked on dry land through the water. When Pharaoh followed behind, it was less successful, right? The, the waters closed in, and Pharaoh and his army was killed. And then, of course, right, you remember that Israel proceeded directly to the promised land and entered into the promised land and lived happily ever after, right? No. Here's a picture. I, I recognize that it's a little small. Let's see how this works. But this is Egypt. This is Israel. So you would expect that the Israelites would cross the Red Sea and head straight up here to Israel. But as you can see from the red, there's a lot of going down here and then back around here, back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And you kind of wonder, were they lost? What was going on? Well, it turns out that Moses, right, as they're entering the promised land, decides that he needs some information. So he sends out spies. He sends out 12 of them. 10 of the spies come back and say there are giants in those hills. We can't go over there. We, we feel like grasshoppers. The other two said, we can take them. We can take them. 
right? The Israelites decided that they wanted to follow the 10, not the two, and even went so far as to, to recommend stoning the two that said, we, let's go in. And as a result, the Lord said, I'm done with this generation. And he was going to destroy them. Moses said, for your glory, don't do that. So instead, they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. But I want you to listen to the words of Caleb and Joshua. He says, they, or they say to the assembly, only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of, of the land for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them and the Lord is with us, do not fear. They end by saying, do not fear. You see, Joshua and Caleb rightly understood that the reason that Israel didn't want to go into the promised land is because it was gonna be difficult. They said there are giants in there. I've never fought a giant. I'm guessing none of you have fought a giant. I, I don't think I would be successful, so I don't wanna do it. And you see that Israel, uh, being afraid of fighting a giant, says, I don't wanna go. What should have happened is that Israel should have feared the Lord, right? They should have looked at the Lord and said, you're going to deliver us, we'll follow you. But they didn't do that. And so, as I said, as a result, they, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. There was an entire generation that died. Imagine how many funerals Moses would have done, just waiting for people to die. We might think that's severe, but even in the text, the Lord says, this has happened before, right? So if you look at the map again, and you notice this area right down here, I know it's too small, but right down there, it says Mount Sinai. Now, likely you guys remember that Mount Sinai was the place where Moses went up the mountain and received the Ten Commandments. In fact, he received the whole law. But Mount Sinai is also the place where, you know, as Moses was up on the mountaintop receiving the law of, of the Lord, the people began to fear. They said, where's this Moses guy? He's the one who led us out of Egypt. He, he, where's, what, what are we to do? Who are we to follow? They began to fear the circumstances of their life. And so they went to, to Moses' brother Aaron, and they said, we're in trouble. And Aaron had this great idea. He said, why don't you give me your gold, right? They melt down the gold, he makes a golden calf, and he says, behold, your God. He even has the temerity to say, this is the God who delivered you from Egypt. Just imagine that. Moses is on the mountaintop receiving instruction from the Lord and the people have said, we're afraid, we're going to follow something else. If we were to take a moment, or well, it would take more than a moment, it would probably take until next Father's Day, to, to look at all of the instances where Israel began to fear something else. Maybe it was the Assyrians, maybe it was the Babylonians, maybe it was the Egyptians. They feared everyone, but they did not fear the Lord. And as a result, they constantly turned away from the Lord. 
So where are we to go? How should our response be any different? Hmm. Well, I'm going to reread Psalm 95. I know we just read it, but it bears repeating, and, and it's important for us to have it in our mind, and Lord willing, it will be up there. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it, and, he, and his hands formed the dry land. May I suggest that these verses are the way in which we fear the Lord and not man. Think about it, right? There's a couple things going on here. First, it's, you know, the psalmist calls the people to remember the rock. And we've talked about this before. Who is the rock? It's Jesus, right? But not only do we, do we recognize that Jesus is the rock who, who saves us, not just from the Egyptians, not just from you know, thirst or, or, or difficulties or giants, but Jesus is the rock who saves us from the enemies of sin and death. But even more, how do these verses describe the Lord? It says that the Lord is a great God and a king, a great king above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he is the one who made it, and his hands form the dry lands. There should be a, a certain amount of terror in our minds when we read these verses. Now let me explain. I don't mean the terror that leads to paralysis. What I mean is, and, and this is a little bit of a silly illustration, but what I mean is, uh, if you've seen the, um, the Chronicles of Narnia and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the four children who go to the magical land are about to meet Aslan. And in the, the book, Aslan is, is an analogy to the Lord Jesus. And upon finding out that Aslan is, in fact, not a man, but a lion, one of the children says, is he safe? And of course the response is, are you kidding? He's a lion, of course he's not safe, right? But he's good. Hmm. We need to remember that the Lord is the one who holds all things in his hand, our lives, our deaths, and everything in between. And it is the Lord that we are to follow. When we remember the words of Psalm 95 and the greatness that is the Lord, we are able to fear the Lord and not fear man. So then, how do we encourage one another? Well, I think the way that, that the author of Hebrews um, has envisioned that we would encourage one another, particularly because of the way that he quotes these instances where Israel 
fears other things and feels other idols and runs a different direction, I think the way that we are to encourage one another is to encourage one another to fear the Lord. And that might sound a little bit strange. After all, let's just assume for a day that, that you've got a little one down in the nursery just below us in the, in the lambs or the lions, maybe the guppies, and, and the child runs to his or her neighbor and takes a toy. Well, likely, you know, the ch- child has some assumption that the world needs to work in this way, according to, to my desire. And we need to help the, the children, if you're serving in nursery, understand that that's not how the world works. The world works according to the Lord's desire. But pulling that child aside and saying, just to let you know, you need to not fear your lack of control, you need to fear the Lord your God and share your toys with your friends, probably not going to translate very well, almost as a foreign language, right? Um, When we help each other fear the Lord, it takes different forms and fashions for all different manner, or all all different areas of life. Um, What we know is that we don't do it naturally. Because if we did it naturally, the author of Hebrews wouldn't have to demand that we do it. So here at Lydie's, what would it look like to encourage one another? Well, it would look like coming alongside one another, asking intentionally how people are doing, not the Presbyterian nod of acknowledgement, right? But, but to ask and, and to mean when I see Francis in the hallway next week to say, Francis, how are you doing? And expect that Francis not say, oh, I'm doing really well, if he's not doing really well. And to listen and care and have concern for him. But more than that, right? If, you, if you're thinking about what would it mean to encourage one another? What would it mean to help others un- rightly understand how to fear the Lord and to follow him? I, I have examples, Right outside in the narthex, there's a sign-up. You see, we're, this week is the last week of Sunday school for the academic year. So we give our teachers a break. But that doesn't mean that Sunday school stops. So if you want to encourage some younger kids, I encourage you, make your way out into the narthex after the service and, and take a week. Sign up to help, other, uh, help some of our young kids understand the scriptures. And just to be clear, What we're going to teach them to do is to share their faith through the summer. So you wouldn't just be encouraging them, you'd also be helping those that they might speak to. We have other ways, and and speaking of our youngest among us, uh, we have Vacation Bible School this week, we have Eye Blast through the year, we have Youth Fellowship, retreats. There are a number of ways that you could help those who are younger. But not just that. If you're wondering, you know, maybe the season of life that you are in means that getting on the floor with nursery-age kids or, or staying up late on a retreat or sleeping on the ground while camping is not for you, right? Consider joining a small group. If you don't know of where a small group might meet, contact Pastor Steve. If you've already joined a small group or, or whatever the case may be, recognize that through the year, we have all manner of times and activities designed so that, that believers could come together and share life with one another. Another one is the meal after the service next week. I encourage you to stay. If you are part of a small group, maybe host one. Or by host one, we mean in the fellowship hall, not 
maybe at your house, but, but to you know, take on one of our monthly meals. We have strawberry festivals. We have Judgment House. We have all, a number of activities. The activities in and of themselves are great, but what is even better is when the folks of our church can come and intentionally engage fellow believers or engage those who aren't yet believers. You see, the author of Hebrews calls us to encourage one another. Not once a week, not once a month, not at Christmas and Easter, but daily, each and every day, as long as it's called today. So until the Lord calls us home or returns himself, he says encourage one another. And to be clear, he gives us a picture in Hebrews 3, of what it means if, or of what the alternative is, is that without this encouragement, what often then happens is that people wander into sin and their hearts are hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And the example he gives are the examples we've read, that of Israel, who time after time after time after time would not fear the Lord, would fear the things of man, and would follow after them. So today, encourage one another. Encourage one another to fear the Lord and to fear the Lord alone. Because if you are the Lord's, you win. I don't mean that life is easy. There are still giants in the hills. But if you are fearing the Lord, he is with you and has promised to see you through. Amen.